We just finished having a presidential election, and we think we have a victor, but we're not quite for sure. But um, as we talk about that, um, as, we, as we think about that as being a big topic, I, it made me think, you know, as we're going into David, we're going into a series on David, and we're thinking about leadership, people that are world rulers and that kind of thing. And I thought about a ruler that we don't talk about that much anymore. And he ties in, and you'll see, to the story that we have today. How many of you remember the story of Woodrow Wilson? Anybody ever hear of Woodrow Wilson? He's not that well remembered now, but he was once president of the United States. Kind of an interesting guy. Wilson was the son of a Presbyterian minister. Born in Virginia, raised in Atlanta, Georgia. And Atlanta has a lot to like about it, but in those days, not so much. He was during the American Civil War, and so he was there when Atlanta was burned to the ground. Can you imagine having your town burned to the ground around you? And he developed, there were, there were some emotional scars that came from that that he carried the rest of his life. He also was dyslexic, and he couldn't read, and he, could, and he struggled with his education. And in those days, they didn't have the you know, teachers that they have today, but he persevered, and he worked very hard, and he eventually became a brilliant student. At least one biographer describes him as being a student evangelist at Princeton University. He was very, very um, fired up about his faith, and he wanted to go into ministry like his father. But he felt he could do more work as a lawyer, so he went to um, the uh, University of Virginia School of Law, and he became a lawyer, and he went with a cousin, and they went back to Atlanta to study law. He said, I don't like being a lawyer. What he really liked was history. So he went back to school, and he's the only president to get his Ph.D. He got it in history at Johns Hopkins University, and he became a professor. And soon he was back at Princeton, and he became the most popular professor at Princeton because he was just an extraordinary lecturer. And everybody loved Winter Wilson. And next thing he knew, through just kind of a series of circumstances, in a sort of a surprise to him, he was the president of that esteemed institution. And then he was governor of New Jersey. And then he threw his hat into the ring to run for president. And there was little chance he would even become a Democratic um, candidate. He was a Democrat, and he wanted to become a Democratic candidate. And there was little chance that he would be. Uh, but the guy who was the four-bit runner, William Jennings Bryan, was also uh, a Presbyterian and a, and a, and a devout believer. And he came to him and said, I think you have a better chance to win this. And he threw his support to him, and Woodrow Wilson became the candidate. Didn't matter. The Republicans were strong, but the Republicans battled between each other. You know, and, and Theodore Roosevelt and William Howard Taft both ran. They split the party, and Woodrow Wilson improbably became the president of the United States. He was probably more surprised than anybody else. And as he became president, he talked about his faith in God. He went to church. He invited Billy Sunday, the famous evangelist, to the White House. He became friends with John R. Mott, the great Christian missionary, who around that same time had the first missionary conference in Edinburgh, Scotland. And you know what their, their slogan was for that conference was, the evangelization of the world in this generation. These were his pals. These are the guys he was hanging out with. During his presidency, he fought against business monopolies. He, he, uh, he ended child labor. He brought about temperance, and he brought about women's suffrage. But the thing he's best remembered for is as World War I took place, he realized that we were, not, we were under-resourced. So he held out, and he built up our resources, and then we went into the war. He managed to win the election a second time, barely, went into the war, and we mopped it up, and we became the heroes of the war. This dyslexic kid from this burned-down city had gone from nothing to now becoming arguably the most popular, if not the most powerful man on the planet. And he was now, you know, he was, everybody was talking about Woodrow Wilson. So they decided to have a peace conference in France, 
and Wilson was invited. And when he went, they threw him parades and he saw pictures of himself in people's homes. I mean, he was just like everybody's hero. He was the savior of the world. And he had a famous speech where he said, this war is going to be a war fought to make the world safe for democracy. This is the war that will end all wars. And he went there with this plan that we would start a League of Nations. Now we have United Nations. And that would be how we would work it all out between ourselves and we wouldn't have wars anymore. And so he went in there, but he went in, now catch this, without his other diplomats. He went in without the other people that knew what they were doing. He figured, I can do this myself. And he tried to do it on his own, and he, he kept saying, we need this League of Nations, and the other people were negotiating other things. And finally, he kept giving in on issues. He gave in on issues because he said, at least if we have League of Nations, the other stuff doesn't matter. Well, the other stuff he gave in and on, historians believe, led to World War II. But he felt it was okay because he had the League of Nations and that would keep there from being any problems. So he went home and he said, okay, it's okay. I know you guys don't like the treaty, but look at the League of Nations that I got. Everybody agreed on the League of Nations. But the Republicans felt traded, betrayed by him and even his own Democrats weren't really popular with him at this time because he hadn't listened to them. And so Congress voted it down. So he said, well, I'll take it to the people and I'll get them to believe me. And he went to the people and he kept going out. He was a great speaker. Remember, I analyzed the speech of his once in, high, in college and it was around this time. But, you know, he wore out. He was getting older and he got tired and he got sick and he had a stroke. And he ended up spending the rest of his presidency in bed. Barely got by. Presidency ended. Everything went over back to the other party. Everything he'd worked for kind of changed. A couple years later, he died a broken man. You know what historians say about Wilson? This is the phrase they have. Even these that aren't, aren't believers in Christ, they say that Wilson developed a Messiah's complex. Wilson thought he was supposed to be the savior of the world. But he wasn't the savior of the world. Can that ever happen to leaders? You don't have to be a king or a president to think that you're the one who's going to save the family or you're the one who's going to save the business or you're the one who's going to save the world. It can happen so quickly in our lives. It actually, it doesn't happen quickly. In fact, I would say this is true. Serious sin doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. What was happening behind the scenes in Wilson's life? Wilson was getting away from God. Wilson's wife died, and he was in an inappropriate relationship with another woman. And people were talking about it, and he was hiding it, and he was covering it up. And then he finally married her. But things were not going right with Wilson personally. Wilson was watching a racist movie, watching racist movies in the, in the White House. He had, these, he had never dealt with some of the anger and angst he had from the Civil War. And, and then this was all coming out later. And Wilson was having relational problems with people because of his pride and his arrogance. He was having these problems that nobody saw. So everybody thought he was the big hero, but behind the scenes, everything was coming apart little by little because he was supposed to be a man of faith and he was not walking with God. That was really at the core of his problem. And Solomon, who fell himself years earlier, centuries earlier, put it this way, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. 
Today we're going to talk about David, and what we've just seen with Wilson is going to be very and strikingly similar to what happens with David. David comes from nothing. He becomes the king of Israel. He becomes the most powerful man in the world. It, didn't ta it took Wilson for less than eight years. It took David almost 20 years. I, I don't know if we have any other leader in world history that walked with the Lord so closely for so long in their leadership. But again, it shows us that everybody, you know, nobody's perfect. And David, David struggles. When he has all that power, it begins to catch up with him. And so we're, we're going to have a series on this. We've talked about David's rise to power, and we're having a series called Decisions That Nearly Destroyed David. And I think it's important for us because we have important decisions that we have to make at this point as a church. And we're doing really well. Our attendance is up. Our giving is up. Our people are loving one another. We're having a great time. We've got this building. We need to make sure that we're walking with God. We need to make sure that we're keeping our eye on the ball or else we can fall like David. And we need one another to make sure that doesn't happen. And so we're going to start to David with David's story. And what we're going to see is, remember how David defeated Goliath? Today we're going to see how David becomes Goliath. Remember how Goliath was kind of boastful and he kind of thought he had everything under control. Nobody could whip him. He was the big bad dude on the block. Well, now David is the big bad dude on the block. Now David is the most powerful man in the world. And how's he going to deal with it? And we're going to see it's not particularly good. Today we're going to talk about the war to end all wars for David. That's what's happening on the outside. And this is, I want you to look at it this way. We're going to set it up. Next week we're going to talk about his fall. This week we're going to talk about what was going on before the fall. Or what people thought was going on. We're going to look at First Chronicles chapters 19 through 20. And also we're going to look at... Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 10, and I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to read it all to you because that's all we do today, right? So I'm just going to tell you the story and pull out some of the highlights. But as we look at it, what we're going to learn is that what was happening on the outside, what people were seeing happening in David's life at this time, he was at the height of his power. And just like Wilson, it was kind of like David was ending all the wars and everything was going well and he was everybody's hero, but what was going on on the inside? And we get a hint of it today. And then we'll look at it more specifically next week. The first thing we're going to talk about is David's war with the Ammonites. It's recorded for us in chapter 19 of First Chronicles, chapter 19, verses 1 through chapter 20, verse 3. Let's just talk about the story. It's kind of an interesting story. Um, David is king now for a while, almost 20 years, as we've said. And he's got most people under control. One of the nations that he has trouble with are the Ammonites. The, the Ammonites were related to the Israelites, and they always been a thorn in their side. I mean, they just didn't get along well. Even though there's some blood there, they don't get along well with each other. So there's tensions between the Ammonites and the Israelites. You know, we see that. We've got problems there. So what happens, though, is that uh, they have a war with the Israelites under King Saul, David's predecessor. And King Saul defeats them and is probably, knowing how King Saul was, he's not even nice to his own people, so he's not probably very friendly to the Ammonites. And they don't really like him very much. So when he's defeated by David, they like David. They say, okay, new king, new guy, good relationships. And David develops a friendship with King Nahash, who is the king of the Ammonites. And King Nahash dies. And his son Hanan becomes king. And so David says this. He says, um, he says, uh, he, he says that he will deal kindly with Hanan, the son of Nahash, for his father dealt kindly with me. And the Hebrew word for kindly is hesed, or loyal. His son, his father was loyal to me. We may didn't always agree, but he was loyal to me. He was a 
he was good to me. I am going to be good to his son. So he does what we do, right? When somebody dies, the, the, the president sends ambassadors or whatever to go visit, or an envoy to go visit the, the people and give their condolences. So David sends ambassadors. And unfortunately, Hanan has some advisors who tell him all that David wants from you is he wants to spy out the land and overthrow it. So he says, they say, watch out for him. And so Hanan, unfortunately, listens to them. And when these guys come, he takes them and he cuts off half their beards on one side. I'm looking at you, Rob. It would look really bad. Um, he cuts out half their beard on one side, then he cuts off their garments from the waist. Now, this doesn't mean they were naked. It's more like their undies were showing, okay? Uh, they, had, they, actually had, they would actually strip down. They had almost like shorts that they would wear for work and stuff, but it just looked goofy. And then having half the beard, I mean, it's almost like watching people, it's like watching the Grammys, okay? People dress like that intentionally, right? Um, so, but, but these guys, it, in those days, it was embarrassing. So they sent him home, and David felt bad for them, so he had him go to Jericho to get some new clothes and come back. Well, when you do that, you, you, you basically just declared war. And they knew that. They figured, well, we can get this old king. But they knew they couldn't do it by themselves. So you know what they did? They took tons of silver, and they took all this money, and, and they sent it to the Syrians. Now, these aren't the same Syrians we have today, but they were a, a group that at that time was called Syrians. They were a mix of group up. You probably don't even care that much by the Tigris River and Euphrates River. Let's just say that they were northeast. And they brought these guys down on money, so they were mercenaries to fight for them. And David knew he was in trouble, so he sent Joab, his commander and his nephew, to fight the battle. And Joab goes to fight these guys. And it's really interesting. There's a side lesson here. Joab was a fiery-tempered man that David had trouble controlling. But it's interesting that we'll see this is one of Joab's highest moments because as David follows God, he models God for the people that follow him. Do you know that that's the kind of influence you have? Even on your kids, for example. When you follow God, your kids see that you're following God. They're watching you. When you're a boss and you, the way you conduct yourself, the people you're working with, they're watching you. When you're a teacher, they're watching you. And he's watching David. And it's interesting, as David rises in character, we see that it rubs off on Joab. But as David falls, we see that it rubs off on Joab. It's very interesting. But at this point, Joab and his brother Abishai are the main commanders, and they're surrounded on one side, they've got Syrians, and the other side, they've got Ammonites. And it's an interesting lesson here. This is what he says to his brother. He says, if the Syrians are too strong for you, me, I'll fight the Syrians, you fight the Ammonites. Then you come and help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will help you. Now listen to this. Be strong and let us, oops, and let us use our strength for people in the cities of our God. And may Yahweh do what seems good to him. What he's saying here is, is really pretty interesting. He's basically saying, let's do the best we can. You know, sometimes people say, God's in control. We don't have to worry. I don't need to vote. God will decide what's going to happen. What he's saying is you do need to vote. You do need to do your job on things. But what he's also saying is God is the one who determines what will happen. So do the best you can, but leave the results to God. And God takes care of them, and they chase these guys into their city of Reba, which is modern-day Ammon and Jordan, and it seems like the battle's over. 
but they're not done. They go and they pay money and they get more Syrians to come. And so the fighting goes on and ultimately the Syrians leave. And it says, so the Syrians are not willing to save the Ammonites anymore and they leave them. And all that's left at this point are the Ammonites. And they're in their home and they're in their city of Rabah, modern day Ammon, and they have to just beat them. And then this comes the verse. Now listen to this. This is the verse that will is so critical. This verse is the key really to our whole series. And you, there's one sentence that's important to this verse. And see if you can pick it out. Okay, you listen closely and see if you can catch this one. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, Joab, the commander, led out the army and ravaged the country of the Ammonites and came and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. And Joab struck down Reba and overthrew it. Did you catch it? The spring of the year was when the weather was nice and the roads were passable and there was food to eat from the spring harvest for the soldiers and the animals, and so that's when they would fight. They needed to finish up the job with this dangerous, these dangerous people, so they needed to go in and do that. So they were doing that, and Joab did go and besiege them. But what was David doing? David, the king, stayed home when it was time for the kings to go out to war. He was not being responsible. David had other things going on. And what we find out, and we'll find out what was going on next week, Next week, we are told what was going on, and it isn't good. Ultimately, Joab will call for David to come. He says, I need you to come. I'm ready to conquer these guys. If you don't come, I'm going to conquer them. I'm going to name the town after myself. So David comes. That sounds like Joab, back to his old self. And so David comes, and they put a 75-pound crown on his head. Can you imagine that? No wonder the guy gave up his kingdom. That, that'd be hard to wear. It was, it was ornamental. It wasn't, you know, they probably carried it on his, and just put it on his head and took it off. But David, you know, it's very ceremonial, and he has now conquered Ammon. And then he has some battles, they say, with the Philistines. And they, you know, Israelites, the, the rest of the chapter and the rest of what we, we have today is that he fought on and off with the Philistines. And the Philistines are a scrappy bunch, and they hated the Philistines. The Philistines have disappeared. We don't know what happened to them. But it's interesting that the Romans knew how much the Israelites hated the Philistines. So listen to this. You know what they did? You'll find this interesting, I think. They named Israel after the Philistines. They gave it a new name that, that you know, in terms of language, is linguistically fits into the Philistines. What did they name it? Palestine. Palestine. That's why they call it Palestine, because the Romans were given a slap in the face of, of the Jews, and it just stayed there till this day. Um, so they fought these guys, and they fought these guys that were, were giants. There's several recorded battles of them fighting giants. Um, they were called Rephites. Rephite means ghost because the idea was there was this group of people that, uh, maybe you ever met somebody, if, they, if, if you want to have a, a basketball dynasty, you just make sure everybody tall marries people that are tall forever until you get a, tall people. Well, they, they did that for war. They got a bunch of people that were all big to try to fight. It didn't last forever. Um, but along the lines, they had some pretty big dudes, one of them being Goliath. His brother is a big guy, and he loses a battle. There's one guy that's interesting here. There's one giant that loses a battle from the Philistines, had these crazy warriors. They had this one guy who had six fingers on, his, on each hand and six fingers on each toe. Can you imagine that? Imagine what he would have been like playing the piano. Um, so, so there's some interesting dudes here. But one of the things that's most notable 
and to hang on to here is David himself. In 2 Samuel 21, it says that David was fighting and almost got killed by a giant. And his nephew Abishai saved him. And afterwards, David's men swore to him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. And it's not to say that he doesn't go out to the war, but that he doesn't get in the midst of the battle. David's losing some of his physical ability. And I think that kind of ties in a little bit to what we're going to see, because sometimes when a man or a woman feels like they're losing something, they're looking for what they can do to get it back. And that's what's happening with David behind the scenes. And I want to stop for a second to say, what was happening behind the scenes? We'll go into detail next week. But let me tell you this, there was a young lady, possibly still a teenager, who admired the king. And he would take advantage of her. And when she became pregnant, when she became pregnant, he would take her husband, one of his great warriors, and orchestrate the event so that that man died. And by the way, when we talk about this next week, if you don't want your kids to be here, you may not want them to be because it's going to be a little racy. Um, we're going to talk what, just what the Bible says, okay? We'll just say what, it's just coming right from the Bible, but just so you know that. Um, David does something really bad, and it's happening behind the scenes. But this is what I want us to catch. Did you know, did they know what was going on? Did the people of Israel know that their king was not doing his job. Did the people of Israel know that their king was messing around with a young gal on the street from, from a home nearby? Did they know that she'd gotten pregnant? Did they know that he had orchestrated the death of this man? Did they know that? You think so? I don't think they had any idea. I think his baseball cards were on the rise. I think he was the most popular man in the world. Everybody thought he was perfect. Everybody wanted to be David. But David was not walking with God. Now I have a couple questions for you for applications today, a couple things to work through. One is, is following the fallen. Do we ever follow people that are fallen? Do we ever follow people that on the surface, they look great, but what's going on behind the scenes? Obviously we don't always know, but should we be concerned? A little bit. I thought about this recently, um, I'm a big fan of Matt Chandler. He, he's, he's a guy I really enjoy listening to, really good communicator. And he and his wife did the marriage night. We watched that as couples. Some of you got to see that. And it was really good. I, I, I just enjoyed very much what he and his wife had to say. But he said something there that caught my attention. He and she were both saying that they were having severe marital struggles for about seven years. And during that same period of time, their church was growing rapidly. And, and they, they loved the Lord and they worked through their problems. And even as we minister today, I, I minister out of troubles in my own personal life. That's life, right? That happens to us. But at the same time, I thought it was striking that the church was doing so well at a time where they were struggling in their marriage and possibly spiritually. And, and these are good guys, <laughs> you know. And God is gracious and he worked it out. But it made me think, what about the guys out there that just simply aren't walking with God and their churches are growing? And they're not going to be honest about it and tell us about their struggles. And we're all following them. And they're not following God. Does that trouble you? That, that troubles me some. I mean, we need to be really careful who we follow. I, I don't know, when you, read, when you listen to people, do you read about their backgrounds? Do you know who they are, where they went to school, what they believe in? Do you know if they're doctrinally sound? 
Do you know how many wives they have? You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you know what their background is? It's kind of scary. And it strikes me that we live in a time, one of the things that we can fall prey to is, is YouTube, you know, and, and just go online and listen to whoever you want. And I hear people coming to me all the time telling me things that, you know, quoting to me things that people said, but seldom quoting me what the Bible said. Have you read through your Bible yet? Have you read through the whole Bible yet? You've been a Christian for five, ten years? Have you ever read through your whole Bible? No, but I've listened to every sermon that so-and-so has preached. I know my Bible well, you betcha. Through his eyes. You see, the Bible is given to us that we have the Holy Spirit in us, so when we read the Bible, we should be able to understand the Bible on our own. And people like me, you know, in Clifton, when we speak, and, and Mitch, and as he does worship, it's, it's there to help you and supplement that, but not to do it for you. We work together. That's, that's, you know, if you get too dependent on a speaker, that gets scary. This is a time of season where that happens. I've actually had several people come to me saying, you know, their concerns because we've had an election and they're concerned about the election. And, and sometimes it happens when we have people that are elected to office who have viewpoints that are, um, that are opposite a lot of biblical things. And we say, oh, no, what's going to happen to our world? Is everything going to fall apart? And then, then there's these people that come out and start preaching at this time. And they make a lot of money and sell a lot of books and everything else. And they're talking about the world's going to be, the world's at an end. And there's all these things. There's these conspiracies that are happening. And this is happening. And the end times are near and all this stuff. And you say, wow, this must be real. Because these guys know. And by the way, they always tell you how much they know. They always say, I'm an expert in this. I'm an expert in this. Did you know what an expert this person is in this? And people tell me, oh, they're an expert in this, you know, in history or whatever. And then I'll, I'll listen to some of the stuff and i say, no, they're not. They're taking things out of context. You see, you got to be so careful. So, so they say, you know, well, these are the guys you got to listen to. Listen to this. It's not the first time. The first time in American history, I want to tell you, there was a time in American history where we knew that there were conspiracies to take over the world. And we knew that the president was a bad man. The man who had been elected was going to destroy this country. He did not know Jesus, and he was evil. And a lot of Christians had uprisings, and they had parades and everything else to help save America. Do you know who that president was? Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was supposed to ruin us. How'd we do? Are we okay? They even have a Jefferson state now. You know, it's so crazy, but these things, this is a history repeats itself. And so we have to be so careful that we don't get too afraid of people like this. Now, 